0: on this edition of the bill kelly show podcast with scott radley sitting in for bill kelly we are going to talk to liberal leader justin trudeau on the campaign trail we're going to talk about the election with rick brennan former columnist with the toronto star for queens park and parliament hill and we're going to talk about money the deficit that's a big story in this election how is it going to affect you and your kids and their kids and their kids and their kids after that we'll do all of that stick around Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Over the course of the election, we've been speaking to most of the party leaders today. I am very pleased to welcome Liberal leader Justin Trudeau to the show. Mr. Trudeau, thanks for your time today.
1: It's my pleasure, Scott.
0: I want to start um, with an issue that is really a, a big deal here in Hamilton. There's a report that was released not very long ago, that said this city is now the third least affordable housing market in all of North America. Do you really believe that your plan can bring some of that under control?
1: Absolutely, Scott. I mean, housing doesn't solution. People are in different situations. There's renters, there's first-time buyers, there's uh, uh, you know concerns around uh, aging, uh, aging in, in homes. These are the kinds of things that mean that we have set out a, a plan with multi-facets. The first one is uh, up to $30,000 uh, in help for young families to be able to put it down payment faster, including with a tax-free savings account. Uh, also investments about one point four billion uh, for 1.4 million new homes by investing $4 billion in municipalities across the country uh, over the coming years. And then also standing up for homebuyers' rights. Uh, by preventing blind bidding and, and flipping tax uh, and investment that uh, nobody lives in. So these are the kinds of things that will build on our national housing strategy in few years that has reduced homelessness and seen hundreds of thousands of families get into new homes
0: if you look at the graph of home prices and how they've risen over the last number of years, they were going up. They they consistently were going up until about 2016 and then they exploded upward and have essentially stayed on that trajectory. And that's been during your time in office. So I mean, if these ideas are going to work, why introduce them just now in an election? Why not have done this before when you had the opportunity in office?
1: Well, like I said, as of 2017, we put forward a national housing strategy with, uh, a range of, of innovative ideas and billions of dollars. At $40 billion, it's up to $70 billion over the 10 years uh, for things like a first time home buyers program. Uh, we're now moving forward on things like a rent to own program where people who rent can own their home within five years uh, or put an up or down payment in five years. Those kinds of things are uh, what we're continuing to innovate on because we know that. Even as the economy is growing again and coming roaring back, that's putting pressure on housing prices, as the pandemic has as well. Uh, the, the, the cost of lumber, there's lots of different challenges that have been a part of it. Uh, but we are there consistently uh, to invest and to support families to, to move forward.
0: We've got a lot of things I want to get to. We'll, we'll move along. Um, vaccines, vaccinations obviously have been one of the main issues of this campaign, one of the heated issues. Um, Hamilton is as consistently small L liberal, liberal or NDP voting as any place in Canada. Conservatives rarely, if ever get elected in many of our ridings. Yet we learned this week that Hamilton is the least, has the lowest rate of vaccinated people in the province. And I'm wondering how that jibes with the idea that's been thrown around out there a little bit, that somehow it's conservatives that are reluctant or that it's the opponents of the liberals or your opponents that are the ones causing the problems or not getting vaxxed.
1: Well, I think we've seen that two different categories of people who are still unvaccinated. One, you're right, is the uh, extreme anti vaxxers who are often also uh, extreme anti all sorts of other things as well, who've come out and protest healthcare workers and cause a lot of challenges. Uh, but there's also others who are just genuinely hesitant. And for those people, We're doing two things. First of all, we're continuing with an education and sensitization campaign. And, quite frankly, the TICAT leadership on saying, no, you've got to get vaccinated is going to help. But the other part of it, and linked to that, is really being unequivocal, that if you don't get vaccinated, there are things that people who have done the right thing, got vaccinated, are going to be able to do to get back to normal that you won't yet be able to do, whether it's with vaccine certifications that let you into bars or restaurants or movie theaters or gyms or whether it's getting on a plane or train to get back uh, you need to be vaccinated or working the federal public service and that kind of clear leadership is the contrast with conservatives who uh Aaron O'Toole can't even get his candidates to get vaccinated uh we need to be unequivocal about moving forward on this and that's part of the choice to end this pandemic that people are facing in this election
0: Is there a danger in turning vaccination from a health issue into a political issue, though, into villainizing certain people? Or is villainizing it okay because it pushes them into getting vaccinated?
1: No, I don't think villainizing people is ever the example. I think there are people out there turning themselves into villains with their attacks on uh, frontline healthcare workers and grocery clerks and and store owners for wearing masks. Uh, But we need to understand that there's not a debate about whether or not vaccines are the way through this. Science is unequivocal on it. The expert doctors uh, are all saying the only way we get through this pandemic is uh, through vaccination. So a combination of uh, education and outreach programs, which we're doing, uh, encouragement, rewards, uh, but also a firm and unequivocal leadership that says, no, we're not going to debate you about vaccines. We're going to make sure that people are doing the right things. It's not just about protecting an individual; it's about protecting their family, protecting their kids who can't get vaccinated, but also preventing further lockdowns, like we're starting to see maybe out west uh, in Alberta and uh, and Saskatchewan, and making sure our economy recovers as quickly as possible. Which you can't do if we don't get through this pandemic.
0: This issue and some others on the campaign, for sure, um, have created some hard feelings. I guess that, that, is the, that happens in every election. There's going to be some hard feelings, for sure. But the Toronto Star had a call this week, and it began with this sentence. It said, no matter who wins on September 20, the lasting impacts of this election might be the divisions being sown in this country. You agree with that?
1: I think we're seeing through this election that there are very different ideas on how to end this pandemic, how to move forward on on the fight against climate change, for example. And there have always been uh, differences in perspective, but we're now in a moment where we have to meet the crisis around climate, the crisis around housing, the crisis around uh, childcare and women in the workforce uh, with uh, an unequivocal, clear leadership and a plan to do it that we are unapologetic about putting forward. Um, you know, I, I, There are people who call me divisive for standing up Uh, unequivocally for a woman's right to choose, or to saying climate change is real and we have to act on it because there are people who uh, believe the opposite. Well, I'm not going to make any apologies for knowing uh, that trusting science and standing up for Canadians is the right thing. And quite frankly, that is one of the things that is on the ballot in this election. Do we want to continue to uh, give in to people who are uh, anti-government, anti-vaxxer, anti-mask, anti-choice, anti-climate, or climate deniers, uh, or do we stand for the kind of progressive leadership that Canada wants? And in this election, there's only one choice that can stop uh, conservatives, as usual, it's the Liberal Party, but it's also the Liberal Party that has the best plan concretely on environment, on childcare, on housing, and it's the experts who've said it, not just us.
0: We have to let you go, but just very quickly, you just mentioned that there are people who say you're divisive. I mean, every political leader has those critics. But in your time in office, do you you believe you've been successful in being a unifier and bringing the country together?
1: In the time, in the six years, what we've done is created a million jobs while at the same time uh, lifting a million people out of poverty. Uh, We have moved forward on the fight against climate change in real ways that we're going to hit. Uh, the targets we've set, and we need to go even faster, and we will, with what the experts are saying, um, with the strongest plan. Uh, we have continued to be there to support people to move forward on reconciliation and doing those big things and making those big changes in this country is what uh, we're making the choice to continue on. And that's why I want uh, anyone who's thinking about voting NDP or Green to take a look at the issue that matters most to them, whether it be climate uh, or childcare. And look at our platform, look at what the top experts are saying, and they'll see that we're the choice, not just to stop the Conservatives, but to deliver the best, most progressive government this country has ever seen.
0: Mr. Trudeau, thanks very much for the time today. Very much appreciate it.
1: Real pleasure, Scott. Take care.
0: That is Justin Trudeau, leader of the Liberal Party. Don't forget there is an election on Monday. I don't know how you could forget, but uh, cast a vote, whether it's for him or for whomever else you choose. Just make sure you vote. You're listening to the Bill Kelly show podcast on 900 CHML. Every one of the major parties is talking about big, 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 big spending on all kinds of new programs and all kinds of stuff. And there are two schools of thought on this. There is the school of thought that says, you know what? It's just debt. We don't, you know, we can deal with that. Spend. If it helps to make things better, spend the money. We'll, we'll, we'll tax the people who own yachts. That'll bring the money back. The other school of thought says, uh, "Wait a second, um, you know, money. I know the Bank of Canada can print money, but that leads to inflation. There, there's costs to these costs, and we maybe should be a little more concerned about how much money that we are spending now and into the future." I want to bring in Jay Goldberg, interim director, interim Ontario director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Jay, how are you today? Great. How are you? I'm doing great, thank you. Now, uh, I'm not even going to ask because I'm willing to guess I, if I know which side you're on on this one. But we'll we'll, we'll get into that one. I I did want to ask this though to start out with because there was a poll that was done back in May and it was way before an election was called, but it was after we had seen a lot of spending over the last number of months by the governments, and it was by Nanos and they asked Canadians about the spending and 74 percent of Canadians at that time said they were concerned by the deficit and the growing debt. And I'm a little surprised, and I'm wondering if you can maybe explain if that many Canadians at that moment said they were concerned about the debt rising, why have no political parties decided they are going to reflect that and say we're just going to hold back a little bit and this is a time to show some restraint?
2: Well, it certainly seems as if the three-party leaders have taken Canadians out for dinner and they're all sneaking out the bathroom window and leaving us with the bill. Uh, I think that's what it uh, looks like right now. Unfortunately, none of the party leaders are talking about getting back to a balanced budget in a responsible way. And I think that many Canadians who answered that poll would agree that some additional spending was absolutely necessary to help deal with the pandemic. But I think what Canadians were indicating is that once we deal with the pandemic, once that spending ends, we absolutely have to make sure that we turn this fiscal ship around. And unfortunately, none of the party leaders have promised that. Uh, they're all promising higher spending and higher taxes and higher deficits. Uh, and so there's a whole swath of Canadians that just really aren't represented by our political leaders on this issue.
0: And, you know, campaign promises, um, we know what they're worth. Um... <laughs> Uh, I, many of the words I could say on the air, I would get me fired. So I won't say that, but we know what a lot of people consider campaign promises to be worth. And yet at this, it, with these ones, I, I don't think that it's a lie. I don't think anyone doesn't believe that the leaders would spend. I don't think anyone thinks, well, they're just, they're saying they're going to spend this much, but they're not going to. I think everyone thinks, no, if they get in, they will spend.
2: Absolutely. That's what it looks like. We've seen the liberal track record. Uh, they're already projecting a deficit of over $150 billion this year. Uh, And it's only expected to get larger and larger uh, in the years ahead in terms of the debt they've accumulated. Uh, And I think the Conservatives have also indicated that uh, their budget next year would be $14 billion higher, their deficit, than the Liberals are running right now before their campaign promises. So you're seeing that even the Conservative Party is looking at an increased deficit compared to the Trudeau budget of just a few months ago.
0: You know, you know who I blame in this? I don't blame the leaders, quite honestly. I mean, I suppose you could. I blame us. I really do. Because we say, look at that poll that I just referred to from Nano. 74% say we're concerned about the deficits. We say we want control. We say we want discipline. We say we want our deficits to be whittled down and our debt to be chipped away at a bit. And then when a politician waves a shiny object in front of our face, we go, hey, yes, I want that. I want that. Give me that. It's our fault. We're voting for this. If this was not something that the parties thought was going to work, they wouldn't do it.
2: Well, I certainly think that the party leaders are trying to uh, uh, compete against each other and try to offer uh, ideas for Canadians in terms of uh, what they want to support in the election. But I absolutely think that you're right. But I do think that Canadians know uh, ultimately that this bill is going to be paid by our children and grandchildren with higher spending higher taxes, and higher debt. And that's what we're looking at. And so I think it's really important that party leaders uh, look to the best of our ideas as opposed to appeal to some of the less good instincts. And I think that party leaders really ought to recognize that in the spring, Canadians were concerned. They're still extremely concerned. Uh, And I think the politicians should be more responsible uh, in responding to what Canadians actually want, which is a more... A prudent fiscal plan, and we're not getting that.
0: Do you really believe that Canadians think that their children will pay for this? Because I, I, I find it hard to believe that parents and grandparents, if they really at their core believe that, would just sort of slough everything off then and say, "Oh, that's fine; they can deal with it." I mean, we we wouldn't tell our we wouldn't do bad things to our kids in any other way. So I I don't believe that people believe that.
2: Well, I think it's important to look, for example, at the interest we're paying on the debt right now. It's over $30 billion this year. That's more than we're spending on national defense. And so as we accumulate deficits, as they get larger, as our national debt gets bigger, we're going to have a much bigger uh, element of the budget that's going to have to be spent to just paying interest on the debt. And that'll take away from spending areas where Canadians want to see. And I'll give you an example. In Saskatchewan in the 1990s, they'd racked up so much debt and so many deficits They had to close 52 hospitals in the province just because their financial situation was getting out of control. So I think it's really important for voters and parents and grandparents to look forward and recognize that, okay, today, maybe the bill's not going to come due. But 10 years from now, if Canada's in a very negative fiscal position, we could be seeing what we saw in Saskatchewan, which is hospital closures, massive spending cuts, and probably significant tax increases as well and if we want to guard against that if we want to prevent that we need to be responsible today and tomorrow and in the years ahead
0: so do you think then that one or more of the political parties that's running in this election whiffed and misjudged and could could have won or could win the election if they had come out with a very fiscally restrained budget to be a complete counterbalance to everyone else? Do you think that would have worked in this election?
2: Well, I do think that parties are often uh, effective in trying to claim that a a plan that's fiscally responsible is going to be austerity and it's going to lead to uh, terrible things down the line. But I do think absolutely that some of the parties are missing out on opportunity to play to the best uh, thoughts of Canadians. And in particular, I think the Conservatives may have been struggling this campaign and differentiating themselves from the other parties. There's a lot of voters who are used to supporting that party uh, who expect a more fiscally responsible agenda. Uh, The Conservatives don't seem to be offering it this time. They're saying they'll balance the budget in 10 years, but that's based on a hope and a prayer. They have very rosy numbers that they're hoping to. To get So I think that Aaron O'Toole may have made a miscalculation in this election in terms of letting down a lot of voters in this country who are looking for better fiscal management.
0: Because it sounds like if you pitch a a campaign platform like that, if you pitch on austerity or even not even austerity, even if we're not going to pull things back, if we're just not going to spend more, it sounds like you're taking things away from people. And, you know, there's a reason why we like Santa Claus and we don't like the Grinch. And, you know, I I don't know that that if you were to at this time say, yeah, you know, they're going to give you this and this and this, but we're not, but we're going to be smart with your money. I don't know that can win. I don't know if it can. Well, that's
2: certainly an open question, but I think that if a party were to campaign and say, you know, we're going to get the fiscal house in order in this country and we absolutely need to. I think they could effectively make the contrast in terms of, you know, uh, some parties are going to say, oh, you're for austerity, you're, you you know, cutting spending, and that's dangerous. But I think that a party that comes forward with a fiscally responsible plan could say, look, in Saskatchewan, they closed 52 hospitals in the 1990s. If we continue to go on this current path right now and go further down this path, that's where we might get in the future. So, you know, if the other parties are suggesting uh, that, oh, there's going to be you know, some adjustments at the margins, we're saying that actually the parties that are promising to spend all this money, they're going to give you a worse time in the years ahead because you might have a party with the money in the next few years, but you're going to see massive cuts and high taxes in the years ahead if we continue on the same path. And so I think that's an effective argument for a responsible party to make in terms of laying out a reasonable fiscal agenda.
0: You know who I feel badly for, Jay, is whichever party ends up in office at the time, if what you're describing ever were to happen, where there becomes a financial crisis and whatever party has to come in and start doing the really difficult things of cutting back on stuff, because, you know, people may in their head understand what's going on. But if you're the party that gets associated with the closing of hospitals and the closing of this and the taking back of that and everything else, even if it's for a very good reason, you are going to wear that. That is going to live with you for a generation and it may be very difficult ever to get reelected again.
2: Absolutely. And that's the risk that the parties are running. Uh, you know, if the Trudeau Liberals happen to get reelected and they move forward in the years ahead, uh, if they keep going the way they're going, we are going to have serious financial problems in this country. We're going to be seeing over $50 billion a year just spent on debt interest alone, and that'll start crowding out some of the other spending we could have on other programs. And so that's what's extremely dangerous here, Uh, and the Liberal Party, um, or the Conservatives for that matter, whichever party gets into office, if they are going to try to win Canadians' favour by uh, rolling out a whole bunch of new spending now, they've got to realize that if they're going to be in government down the line, they're going to be the ones who are going to have to clean up this mess. And, uh, you know, a lot of unpopularity is going to come from Canadians because they don't want to see austerity. But if we're not responsible now, we will get austerity down the road, and that's the
0: reality. You mentioned a few minutes ago about the idea that um, people saddling their children with this. Uh, Abacus did a poll a little while ago, asking millennials what their number one issue was. And unsurprisingly, I think the number one issue they had for the election, for what in Canada right now was cost of living. But Abacus did another poll and found that millennials leaned NDP first, Liberal second, as their two parties of choice, the two that would be spending the most. And what you're describing down the road of all these billions of dollars just being flushed down the toilet to service debt, it's the millennials and the Gen Z that they would be the ones theoretically holding the bag of, it, it seems like a contradiction that you would be more most concerned about what it's going to cost to live and yet you're the one who may end up being the one having to pay for the things that we're doing right now if if any group should be looking and saying maybe we should be doing things a little tighter it, maybe it should be the millennials and the gen z
2: absolutely and i'll give you an example uh for young people starting families now my wife and i just welcomed our first child a few months ago uh, what we're looking at is if we follow the liberal plan uh, on the carbon tax, they're planning to put it to $170 a ton by 2030. That means when you're filling up your minivan, $30 is going to go towards the carbon tax. And so gas prices are going to go through the roof. We're looking, if we get to 2030, at potentially $1.80, $1.90, $2 a liter. Uh, you know, these are very scary numbers, and I think that. Uh, in reality even if uh, the liberals and the NDP with these uh, tax and spend agendas uh, even if they're uh, trying to say oh we're for affordability today uh, the reality is down the line they're not uh, we're going to see higher taxes both parties are promising higher taxes and higher taxes is exactly what leads to less affordability and so it's it's definitely a contradiction because uh, you know, the parties are promising higher taxes, but at the same time, they're promising to lower cost of living. And that's just, uh, you can't square that circle.
0: Congratulations on the child, by the way. Um, <laughs> so what would get people to change their minds? Um, and 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 I mean, if what you're saying, if what you're saying is absolutely true, and, and this is going to lead to Difficulties down the road, like big difficulties down the road, because of the interest payments on the debt and everything else. What would get people to say, you know, what we got to look at this differently? Is it is unfortunately is it going to have to be a crisis before this happens?
2: Well, I certainly think uh, it doesn't have to be a crisis before we get there. I think if we're upfront with Canadians, if we show them the long term numbers, uh, if we let them know. Uh, what we're looking at five, ten years from now, if we continue along this path, uh, you know, the Canadians, I hope, I think, will uh, definitely recognize uh, that we're in for trouble. And I think that the best way to try to make sure that uh, voters recognize what could be happening down the line is to look at other countries' That have gone through these debt crises. You look at what's happened in Europe, you look at what happened in Greece, you can even look as I said before in this country in Saskatchewan, uh, you know down the line are we going to want to be in such a difficult situation that we can't fund our hospitals, that we can't fund our post secondary institutions or even education. Uh, These are very real dangers that are coming up in the years ahead if we don't have a fiscally responsible path. Now, absolutely, to deal with COVID, it is important to spend money where we need to spend it in terms of the healthcare system. But none of the parties, the Conservatives, are the only ones promising to balance the budget, and they have a 10-year time frame. But none of the parties are offering a real roadmap to avoid uh, a dangerous future down the line when it comes to our finances. And I think that party leaders really owe it to Canadians to present us a plan that actually looks at the reality down the road and does something that's responsible for taxpayers all across the country.
0: All right, Jay, we got to run, but we know what the platforms are and roughly, I mean, I don't know if everyone can cite it chapter and verse, but we know what the liberals, the conservatives, the NDP, generally what they're planning to do. And we know that they're going to be spending money and you can look there and decide which one you like. What if you are someone who is concerned about the debt and concerned about spending, you're a voter. Where do you go? I mean, it doesn't seem like there's much of an option. It seems like if that's your number one or one of your top issues, you're plugging your nose and voting for the least worst. Uh,
2: I think that describes it quite well. Under the Liberal trajectory, they're not expected to balance the budget until 2070. So that new daughter I was talking about, uh, she'll be 49 years old by the time the Liberals balance the budget. The NDP have no plan to balance the budget. The Conservatives, at least they presented a plan. It's a shaky plan. Uh, But they are starting to chart a course, and I don't think fast enough. But they are indicating that uh, they could find a path toward balancing the budget or at least significantly reducing the deficit so i mean the conservatives are the only party that's talking about balancing the budget at all so i suppose that's a good thing but
0: you know as we said all the parties are promising more spending in the years ahead jay goldberg interim ontario director of the canadian taxpayers federation i appreciate the time thanks for doing this today Absolutely. Thank you. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Unless you truly are the least informed person in the entire world, you know, there's an election coming up in a few days. And I got to believe that by now you probably have decided who you're going to vote for. I I mean, after all this and, and not just the campaign, but the last number of years, surely you've got an idea by now who you're going to vote for. You know, they always say there's the undecided voters. I I don't know how you're undecided at this point, but maybe, maybe there are some out there, but here's something that just, it seems that lately we're not necessarily voting for people. We're voting against people. I don't know that we're always voting for the people we think are the best, but we really hate some people, and we're never going to vote for them. want to bring in Rick Brennan, Richard Brennan, who is a former journalist with the Toronto Star. He covered both Queen's Park and Parliament Hill. Uh, Richard, thanks for doing this today. really appreciate your time. Hey, Scott. How are you? I'm, listen, I'm great. I want to ask you about that. Do you think people today, largely in huge numbers, vote for someone, or do they vote against someone? I think it's a combination
3: of both. You still have the traditional voters who vote for the same party, regardless, you know, who's running. But uh, this, time it's, this time around, there's, a, there's certainly uh, more than a dollop of those who are voting against or say, saying, well, I'll vote for this, this person or that party because I don't want this other party to get in. So there's a lot of that going on.
0: I mean, there has to be, right? Because in the last number of days, we have just been saturated by negative ads. And I mean, this happens in every election, of course, but you know what, those ads are not selling the features and goodness of the candidate who's buying those ads. They're selling the horribleness of the opponent, which suggests that you're trying to convince them that that guy, the badness of that person is more egregious than the goodness of you. Well, that's what it's come down to, you know, you know, you you think I'm
3: bad, you ought to see the guy beside me. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And that's what it's come down to, you know let's face it, these ads, I know they irritate some people, but these attack ads work. And that's why they do them.
0: Absolutely. Now that said, I mean, look, we have a democracy. We have freedoms to do this. Um, If they work, as you say, and I believe they do, that's one thing. Is it healthy though? And, And I mean, I don't even just mean attack ads. I mean, the idea of the voting against rather than for. I think much
3: of this campaign has been uh, fairly unhealthy, quite frankly, when I, especially when you're dealing with the, you know, the attitude towards, uh, towards Trudeau himself. I mean, just like the guy, fine. You know, I understand that. You don't like a particular politician. That's good for me, but this, this kind of, you know, evilness that they're trying to portray just not him. Other people say that about O'Toole and, and others, it just, it's it's bloody unhealthy it that it, it, that isn't what we're supposed to be all about but i'm being a bit naive here i know that's what it's come down to lately particularly in the last couple of years you know what we've seen in the united states and and now yeah you know, filtering over here but nope, i think people sure. have to start recognizing the politicians for the value he or she brings or doesn't bring rather than just his visceral dislike of them
0: are you surprised that uh, even with all that, even with those feelings, are you surprised that according to just about every poll, we are basically still tied this late in the game and nobody's really pulled ahead?
3: Well, I'm not not surprised at all because, you know, a lot of people, and I tend to agree with, do we need this election? Well, you know, whether we need it or not, we're, we're in the midst of it. And O'Toole is, this is his real, really his first crack at the can here, and He's a, he's done you know reasonably well. That was until Alberta declared a COVID emergency, and I think that's really taken the wind out of his sail.
0: And, Do you? Th- sorry, no, go, go ahead. ahead. Sorry,
3: no, please go ahead. And you know, and, and another a number of other things. The, the whole this whole COVID, the pandemic, has really kind of become the cornerstone of this election. Now, whether, whether I thought it would or not, I thought it would certainly play a part, but with this fourth wave, it's really had people concentrate and turn their mind to how are we dealing with this? And, and certainly Alberta is finding out that, you know, when they opened things that wide open in June, that uh, maybe that wasn't such a good idea after all.
0: So when we looked at the numbers and, and I'm not, I'm not questioning the pollsters, they do what they do. But do you really do you believe that we really are in a tie? Or 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 are you of the belief that on election night when we tune in all of a sudden all of us our eyes are going to wide open be wide open because suddenly it's nowhere near as close as we heard all the way along.
3: Well, we've certainly seen that in the past, haven't we? We've seen the polls say this, that or the other thing and you know that this this party's way ahead and they haven't got a chance and then we tune in the next morning and that party that didn't have a chance won. And so I, I, I really in my gut feel that this is a close race. So and I think the polls are accurately uh, describing that now, w- whether on Election Day, that'll turn out to be true. But I believe it's going to be a minority government one way or the other, be it a conservative or a liberal. I can't imagine. And I've certainly been wrong before that there will be a majority government come out of this.
0: I, I reject the notion that you have been wrong before, Rick, I, I must <laughs> yeah. say. That I, uh, Ask um, my wife. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that, different story. Um, you mentioned about the fourth wave, you mentioned about Alberta, and that could be one of those things that suddenly voters get nervous about. The, the flip side is we learned this week that inflation is way up to a nearly 20-year high. But I wonder, you know, at the top of the segment, I said, I, I think that by now I would assume that most people are pretty much locked in. I mean, are we at a point barring, I don't know, I don't even know what this thing might be, but are we at a point when it doesn't really matter because so many people are locked in that almost anything could happen and it's really not going to change much? I I don't think it's going to change much. Uh, I I know that with this certainly,
3: this, you know, Alberta it's throwing this monkey wrench in has helped uh, the cons- has helped the liberals. It's going to hurt the conservatives, and also with uh, Bernie and the People's Party coming on a lot stronger than anybody ever anticipated. That's going, you know, you 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 have to understand, you have to know that that's going to eat in co- into conservative report, uh, support, I should say. So that that in itself, is, you know, that's that's a huge factor right there. That we've got this new, fairly new party, and they're really appealing to people who are disgruntled, who I would have suggested, and I'm sure would would have shown their support behind the Conservative Party in the past.
0: I mean, some polls, one at least I saw, has the People's Party as high as nine, almost ten percent. I don't know if I. Completely by that, but let, let's say that turns out to be true. Oh, I, um, I'm not. I won't be surprised at all if it is. I, mean, I so? just
3: look go around and see the number of uh, uh, People's Party signs up, and 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 the, and the kind of people they're getting out for their anti-vax and anti-this, anti-that, uh, you know, uh, protests. So I no, it, that wouldn't surprise me. And the fact that the Green Party has just cratered that really contributes to it as well
0: if the people's party were to draw those kind of numbers what does that mean for the small c conservative wing going forward
3: well the small c conservative wing is you know they're going to they're going to vote conservative this is the, the people who have voted conservative in the past that are now supporting the uh, people's party are very much on the right side of the spectrum and that's that's where they're leaning, you know, they're just feeling that O'Toole and what he's promised and what he's campaigned on really doesn't speak to them. So they're turning their attention to the uh, People's Party. And we'll see what they get. You know, gosh, they may even get a seat out of this. Who knows?
0: Uh, I want to get to some situations that may come up in a second, but just one other thing. I was talking to my mum last night. Um, she's you know, 85 years old. She is representative, I think, of a lot of people of a certain age. COVID is very frightening. Uh, and she's expressed some real concern about going and casting a ballot. She's going to do it, but she expra- explained that this is something that worries her. Do you think that there's a lot of people out there who are sharing that, that they, they are really hesitant about going because of what might happen?
3: Oh, there, I think there shows people some hesitant that they still don't, Really know how they're going to vote. I mean, there'll be people going in there on Monday, uh, not knowing what they're going to tick off. They're, even, despite all this, because they've 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 had this flurry of information fly at them from all the. You know, I'm going to spend this much money, and no, he's not going to spend enough, or mm. you know, and she doesn't know what he's talking. To, what she's talking about that that kind of stuff, and, it, and it's just a big wall of information, and people are trying to dissect what's important to them. And if you're, if you're 85 years old, like your mom, well, you may not be all that concerned about daycare, but on the other hand, she may be concerned because she's got grandkids and, and she knows that, you know, that they're, you know, that daycare is expensive. So there's many factors in election and what people will pick and choose. And that's where, it, that's where it's hard, because some of, some of these are very close. I know that people will tell you that the conservatives and liberals are polar opposite. But in many, many aspects, what they're promising is very close to each other.
0: Mm. And and, I mean, when I say, when I say concerned, absolutely the points you just raised, but also health concerns that they, you know, for months now, we've been told if you are especially elderly going out into public around other people, it's dangerous with COVID. And that's the concern I think for a lot of people to say, I don't know if it's safe to go and even be out in public, you you know, even with vaccines and all the rest. I, I wonder how many people are hesitant to go to the polls simply because of health concerns. Well, there'll be some, but I, I
3: you know even though there's a, the the fourth wave and we're right in the midst of it, and probably haven't seen the worst of it yet, there are people who will think about that and probably still st- steal themselves and go in and vote because for uh, particularly uh, you know a portion of the uh, population most likely older, voting is very important to them
0: mm mm-hmm. mhm. And they'll, do, think, yeah.
3: they'll crawl there if they have to. And I'm not kidding. I know people <laughs> that would crawl there if they had to vote.
0: Let's go through a few scenarios of what might happen Monday. And um, it's hypothetical, although one of them is going to happen. Uh, we don't just don't know which one it is. But l- let's start with the idea of Aaron O'Toole winning a minority. Do you believe that if he does, he will get a chance to govern Or is it more likely that the NDP and Liberal form some sort of alliance, uh, create a majority with their combined seat totals, and they govern, and Aaron O'Toole may have won the most seats his party might have, but he never gets to really be Prime Minister? I mean, that that certainly can happen. Do I think
3: it will happen? No. Because even if people, he gets a minority government, people have voted in such a way to give him minority government, and they want him to take a crack at it. And I, I think it would be foolhardy of the NDP and the and the uh, Liberals to gang up and try and you know have a non-confidence vote or, or whatever it might be, or, or just not cooperate at all with them. Because let's face it, the last this past government worked because more um, for the most part all the parties were cooperating on particular on money that was being spent on COVID-19. So I know, I I think that would, uh, that would be a big political mistake if they did.
0: All right. Uh, The liberals win a minority government, which is, uh, you know, very possible right now. Many of the experts are saying that's the, that's the likelihood right now. But if, if they win a minority, um, Justin Trudeau called an election and we spent $600 million and got right back where we started from. Does he remain leader?
3: Well, that's a good question, because I think there will be a lot of pressure on him to step down, whether he does or not, because the fact that he, he did call an election, we all... in my, i I know, and a lot of other people out there know that the reason he called that election he wanted a majority government that 's why he could never really explain it to people why he called it. you know he never really gave a solid answer if he just come out and said, "Look at, I want a- you know majority government, and uh, so you know I could govern effectively for the next so many years you know but and he, I think I still my heart of hearts think that his plan was to get a majority government and within a couple of years maybe. Uh, and then step down. There may be a lots of folks, you know, this time. If it gets a minority government, saying, you know what, maybe it's time for you to go. Mm. And I think a lot of people, even you know, ones that voted for him, are saying. Saying absolutely that that maybe it's time for him to go because he's part of the polarizing effect that the uh, the, the party has right now is that it's it, whether it's re- real or, or imagined, people kind of blame him for everything, you know, and I don't think it's entirely fair, but he's become the lightning rod, and I and, and in my I would say if well, I was advising him I would say you know. You might want to start to look for something else because you are the lightning rod. And as long as you're around, we we might not gain more support than we're getting right now.
0: What if, and this seems highly unlikely, but let's throw it out there. What mm-hmm. if there was a liberal majority, uh, that the polls are way wrong and that all of a sudden, um, you know, people show the liberal get their vote. Liberals get their vote out and all the rest. What happens out West, because th- this would be, I, I would think if the, especially after all the polling that people out West who, you know, the entire province of Alberta is blue and Saskatchewan is blue and half of BC is blue and chunks of Manitoba are blue. I would think they would look and say, we just, this is now further affirmation that the rest of the country just doesn't get us. We don't have anything in common with the rest of the country. I would think it would be a really difficult scenario for the country i'm not saying people you know if they win it's not fair of course it's fair but i i I don't know what i mean that would send a really weird message a really difficult message i think to some parts of the country
3: well if i if i was governing liberals and i had a majority i think i'd be doing whatever i could to uh to help particularly right now help alberta through this through this covid uh crisis and they're going to have to pay more attention if they if the liberals want to you know become a national party so to speak where they have seats in every province etc they, they've got to. they've they just can't always look to the west and say well they're just a bunch of naysayers they've got a point they should you know the liberals should listen to it see what their concerns are and and, and deal with it in the, whatever way they can as much as they can because you just can't keep writing off the West and saying, well, that's just the West, we, you know, we, they don't like us, et cetera, et cetera,
0: Yeah. I mean, cause if it was to be a majority, you would assume that that means that there has been massive liberal support in Ontario and massive liberal support in Quebec. And you know, nothing is going to antagonize Alberta more than seeing the Ontario Quebec Alliance rise up to slap them again. So, uh, one more thing, Rick, before we go, um, if it's a minority, and back to minority government, because that seems to be what everything is pointing to, if it's a minority, either way, are we back to the polls in a year, 18 months again?
3: I would hope not. <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I really think that that would
3: be a huge mistake because people have just gone through this and, you know, in the campaign in the midst of the fourth wave, unless, unless the skies open,
0: I think we just lost Rick. Uh, we will um, we will leave it there then. Rick uh, Rick Brennan, fantastic journalist, Toronto Star. Used to be a Toronto Star, now retired with uh, Queens Park, covering Queens Park, covering Parliament Hill. Uh, great job, always. We will uh, we will thank him in absentia